0: Listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the year twenty thirteen. I am here uh with uh we didn't even go over the order of the guests, so let's just see how this uh intro goes with all four of us here. I'll start out and say my name is Tom Chick and my game of the year, the whole year is not the last of us.
1: Uh-huh. Very good. This is Rob Harvey. I post as chaplain on um, the forums, and my game of the year is not. Oh boy, that's a tough one. It is not Grand Theft Auto Five. Oh.
2: oh. This is Brandon Kikowski Chanel, and I don't post on the forums, which I just realized that. Uh, my game of the year is not Saints Row 4, sadly.
3: And this is Scott Dobrashowski, and my game of the year is not Wasteland Two. Is that is that a, is that even out? that's not, is it? I just downloaded the beta tonight. so I was say the beta is.
0: Ah, yeah. okay. So, so, but there's All time right. to change your mind, Scott, because we still have a few days left in December. So just keep I know. that in mind. Uh, it could win me over. <laughs> well, we're, we're actually not <laughs> necessarily explaining what our games of the year. If you're tuning in, and it, it, it might have been somewhat misleading if you're tuning in to hear us talk about what the best game of the year is i'm afraid you're not going to hear that you're instead going to hear just some general uh more broad faffery about trends and things that we saw this year um we've each mentioned to each other a few things that we want to raise a few points some topics we'd like to discuss uh and we're just going to go around the table and and bring those up in, in order so why don't we start Uh, With you, Scott, what's one of the things that you thought was notable about uh, 2013 in video gaming? Well, I think this year,
3: I mean, I think this year there wasn't a week that went by when um, the issue of women in gaming didn't show up, either as some type of controversy over sexism or objectification in games or uh, the mention of a... uh, really strong female lead in, in games and i felt like that was just something that it just kept it kept showing up and i think it shows the game industry kind of trying to deal with more adult issues and also not being able to deal with more adult issues
0: uh yeah it, w- it was definitely a topic of concern this year i mean i think it's something that we've seen a lot but for for me the the most notable Thing about that issue, you know, women in, in gaming. And uh, there's a couple different approaches you can take, but for me, as an issue of the portrayal of women in gaming and female characters and how they're represented in the games that we play, uh, I think it was a particularly strong year for controversy because there are some really strong cases to be made that we've come a long way, that we're not just rescuing women out of castles and then dressing them all in chainmail bikinis. There's certainly some of that mentality still there. But I just think it was a very strong year to make a case on the opposite, uh, on the opposite uh, argument. Um,
3: yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's a good place to start. I, I think the game that comes to mind immediately for me is Tomb Raider, because it did initially start with some controversy, which right. uh, I mean, that I think that was just taken out of. <laughs> People didn't really know what they were looking at when they saw scenes that they thought uh, depicted rape. And then the emergence of, of Lara Croft in that game—I mean, that was just that was fantastic. That was a great game. And then the other game that comes to mind is um, is Gone Home. Hmm. I, I thought both uh, dealt in a very positive light with uh, with the strong female leads.
0: Yep, absolutely. And of course, Last of Us. Uh um, beyond Two Souls, Bioshock Infinite, all prominently featured female characters beyond the traditional roles of just you know the chicks that you rescue or, or whatever. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's was, it was a very good year for that. Um, all right, good. So that was a notable in 2013. Um, uh, Brandon, what, what's something that stood out in 2013 for you?
2: Um, well, for me, it's not so much what stood out, but what didn't stand mm-hmm. out is um, okay. Uh, I, I I'm really surprised the Vita is not a bigger deal <laughs> than it is, and and I really think it should be. And I think because especially now that the PS4 has come out, I mean just to give a little background, I had a Vita at launch, and um, I kind of I, I really I thought it was a great system and had a lot of power, but I was concerned of the potential of the system in terms of like what third party developers would put out for it or even just what sony would put out for it and then really what did it for me was when the call of duty game that they released for it was just a bag of shit i thought well that if you can't if they don't even see the the um the ability to make money with call of duty on this handheld which you know there's no reason why it shouldn't be able to do a shooter like that well uh, then it's pretty much dead. And so I kind of wrote it off. I traded it in. I, I <sighs> said goodbye. And so, then, so
0: little faith, Brandon Well, So disappointed.
2: At the E3 press conference, when they showed off remote play, and they said, because now mind you, the Vita had remote play with the PS3, but it was pretty much useless. They were, as far as I know, there weren't, well, I'm not going to say there weren't any games that supported it. None of the games that I ever played on the Vita
0: supported it. Um,
1: and it was I just, certainly a, an abandoned feature that was a poorly imp- implemented, and even when it was, it seemed to just not work.
0: Well, and to I, be fair yeah. to Brandon, you can see Sony would do that sort of thing all the time that six axis right. and the move. Mm-hmm, you know, they'd yeah. trumpet something and then forget about it a month later. So I, I can kind of understand Brandon thinking, oh, well, the Vita's going the way of the, the Dodo. Why don't I get rid of this?
2: Yeah. Right. But then when they said for the PS4 that every game, every Sony game that didn't use the camera, would be remote play and that it was all handled via hardware which meant that for developers to include remote play uh with their games the biggest decisions would be you know how to map the buttons i went wow wait so that's the dream like that's the dream for me is being able to take my vita and play something that i had been playing you know, somewhere else, um, in the house. And so at that point in time it was right around the time they kind of were announcing the price cut. So they went on sale at Target. So I bought another one. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, when I, when I started getting into it and I started seeing all the things like, um, like the cross play stuff, like for example, being able to buy Sly Cooper for the PS3 and getting a Vita copy with it and being able to have the saves accessible to both um and being able to buy Hotline Miami uh off the PSN and have cross save and have it also be unlocked for the, the the Vita things like Guacamelee, things like you know uh being able to buy like all these great kind of in indie games that had been on the PC for a while but I hadn't been into and um and so this was the year for me that I really recognized kind of what the potential of the system was beyond just being able to put out Um, really nice graphics and you know have good controls and it's a really fantastic system it's my it's probably my favorite system i mean i have a 3ds XL which i also bought this year and for things like fire emblem and you know animal crossing that system was great you know the nice screens it looked fantastic but the vita for me there's so many games that i probably wouldn't have played normally but i'm a lot more Willing to give them a chance on a hands and a handheld, and then I think there's certain games like Spelunky, or Hotline Miami that play better on the Vita simply because they're so um, trial and error oriented that it's great to just be able to go. You know what? I'm doing really well. I don't want to shut this thing down and have to start over. Let me just put it to sleep, and then I can just pick it right back up where I left off. Um, I can't tell you how many times I did that with Hotline Miami, but then I'll just, you know, like I said before, the ability to buy a game in one place and have it like that unified system and nobody else does that. Like Nintendo just got around to the idea that, hey, maybe if somebody puts eShop money in a, in an account for their 3DS, they also want that money available to spend on the Wii U. Um, you know, and then you know look at Microsoft. they have uh, that Spartan assault for Halo. Well, it's coming out. They get a discount. If you already bought it in one place, you'll get a discount for buying in the other place. Like I think Sony is, is far and away ahead of these guys and being able to say, buy it here, play it all of these places.
0: You and know, it's also and, a, a good way to compete, I think, with because being a handheld's a fiercely competitive place right now because of the iOS, because right. of the 3DS, and I, I think they've got a good angle by folding it so completely in with their PlayStation 4 ecosystem, or yes. whatever you want to call right. it. Uh, it gives right. it an edge over the iOS, over the, the 3DS. Yeah, definitely. Right.
2: And then the remote play, as I, you know, I'm not going to keep beating that particular horse, but it's fantastic. I mean, it's the first time that I have seen something and then have it seem something that, that um, like excited me and amazed me that much and then it actually worked exactly the way that it was supposed to. Um, and in fact, it worked too well for me at first uh, and it wasn't working because it worked too well, which is um, – listen to my podcast a few episodes ago and hear that whole story. Um, but I use it every night. I play every night on it. I'm playing Marvel uh, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, not as we speak, but that's currently in my PS4 and I only play it on the Vita. I have never played it on my PS4 proper. I've only yeah. played it on the Vita.
0: Uh, the uh-huh. Vita is also worth calling out for some. Uh, it's not just a, a toady to the PS4. There, there are still some uh, unique Vita titles. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working on my Game of the Year uh, list right now, and and certainly Terraway is up there as far as Tearaway one of my favorite fantastic. things that I played. I know that yeah. uh, that Sony did a dedicated kill zone, which I haven't seen, uh, but that's for the uh, the Vita. Yep. Um, Soul Sacrifice, which is uh, I think also a first party Sony game. Yeah, uh, Rob, you and wild. I, you. Played that, didn't you, Rob? We, oh yeah, we did. Yeah. We played it together. That was that was another fine fine product on, on the Vita
1: that we really couldn't get anywhere else. A couple of games so. that just came
0: out. There's a new. Uh, I have no idea how to say this word. Yeast. Yeast. Eyes. Why? Oh yeah, the, yeah. Those. Yeah, I love those games. Yeah. So a new yep. one of those just came out. Memories of sorita or whatever. Uh, I just stumbled across um, published by a company called X Seed. Uh, a really good SRPG I'm enjoying specifically for the Vita called uh, Rainbow Moon. Um, yeah so uh yeah I, I think it's a you know i, I keep my fingers crossed I, I hope it takes off it's a it's a fantastic little system and i hope this kind of saves us bacon uh, yeah scott you're yeah, recently so you're recently converted aren't you scott didn't you so scott you did all your next gen early adoption and didn't you also end up getting a vita as well
3: yeah, on Black Friday, I got a, a great bundle through Amazon, and uh, it was the V It was just something I wasn't interested in. I haven't been really, I never was really into handheld gaming. I had a DS Lite for a while, and it, it didn't really do much for me. But then with the cross, uh, I mean, with the Remote Play, with the PS4, I decided, okay, let, let me take a look at it and i i'd love the thing i I think it's amazing and what brandon was talking about earlier with the just the sleep feature i didn't even know it did that and when i first discovered (laughs) that it did i was just (laughs) yeah no i i think it's great i love the system um and then ps plus it really i mean they really are trying to do something with the with the whole bundling everything together and i know i i said this probably a million times last podcast but i mean it's just it's just a matter of time before they put those two things in the same
2: box Oh, they, oh, the they, PS4. Oh, yeah, and the, I mean, they, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I,
1: I think it's just going to take a little time for the rest of the uh, the gaming ecosystem at large to kind of catch up. I mean, because it's not exactly a, a mainstream. I mean, I've walked into the stores and I've seen the Vita right next to the PS4, but I don't think really the connections happening for anybody who's not really kind of bleeding edge that already had a Vita in their closet. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, it, I I would agree with that.
3: Yeah, it's probably still price. I think I know the. Um, The Black Friday deals, they all went immediately, so I think it really is probably price, and then you don't want to buy a brand-new console and then turn around and drop another $200 on a handheld. But, I mean, I just can't wait for all the third-party games to come out. Um, They just recently announced that uh, Tomb Raider is going to be coming out on the next-gen I can't wait to play that remote play in bed.
2: <laughs> and it's such a thing. I was so excited to have these amazing graphics on this four-inch screen. It just seems yeah. so wrong. But.
3: Yeah, but it's it's just uh, it really is just, I mean, it really does just kind of blow you away. It makes you feel like you're in the future.
0: It's funny, too, because I bought my Vita last Black Friday. I've had this thing mm-hmm. for a year, and it's nice yeah, to same. see, you know, it's finally, I, I don't know about finally, but a guy like Scott, who claims he's not into handholds, Handhelds. Uh, <laughs> if if the Vita can sell itself to him, I, I think it's finally in good shape. I hope. Yeah, and it's great too because I
3: have the the PS Plus through the PlayStation Four, and then getting the mm-hmm. Vita immediately having all these games for free. Oh yeah.
2: I mean that, and they're really I good mean, games too. Like the yeah, Keep Gravity Gravity uh, Rush is always there. Yeah. You know, the Uncharted game is always there. Right,
3: Soul uh, Sacrifice is there. Um. Yep. Uh, Hotline Miami was there. So yeah, I mean
2: yep. it's. Yeah.
0: You know what else it was the, a good year the for? the
2: Sonic, Sonic Racing Transformed is coming up in December, and that that's a good game, too.
0: Is oh, that yeah. just a port of the regular uh, game, Brandon? Do we know? I think so, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah that is a great game. Uh, you know what else it was a good year for? Mm-hmm. Open world games. So there have been plenty of years where we have like a, an Arkham Asylum and a Just Cause 2 or whatever. Like a, We have a couple of really good ones in the same year. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. I, I count five. It's an embarrassment of riches to me that in, in this genre there are five games as good as – let me list them here. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 5, Saints Row 4, Lego City Undercover, State of Decay, and Assassin's Creed 4. Those are all fantastic games, all open-world games. Uh, this year seemed like an embarrassment of riches to me for, for open-world games.
3: Yeah, and they all do something different, too. It's not you know going right. over the same territory. It really is just expanding what you can do in an open world, Yeah, each one of their own take. Yeah, it's, it's really fantastic.
2: Yeah, I've uh, actually been wondering if I should jump into Assassin's Creed 4, knowing that I've been playing so much Grand Theft Auto Five. But I jumped into Grand Theft Auto Five shortly after having played Saints Row Four, and they're such different. I mean, it's like you know the fact that it's open world is, and you know, occasionally you kill people is probably the only thing <laughs> that those three games you know will kind of have in common, and that's Randy, great. To
0: let me ask yep. you this: in um, in uh, GTA Five or Saints Row Four, can you sail around in an awesome pirate ship?
2: Uh, well, in GTA 5, you can sail around in it's not an awesome a, a ski do. <laughs> 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 and I can fly a helicopter. Uh, and then in Saints Row 4, you can fly around in a spaceship, but you can't go in the water. So I'm going to have to go with no. Yeah. Uh, no.
0: <laughs> As Scott said, very different kinds of experiences. Uh, yeah. And, and what, it's, it, surely, I'm not the only one on this podcast who played Lego City Undercover. No, that game's great. Uh, yeah. I
2: played it on. I only played it on the DS. I don't have a Wii U. Oh, so uh,
0: the DS version—that's not Lego City Undercover. That's I an know, abomination. You—you—you
2: yeah, you, you, you chastised me earlier about
0: never even mention it again, Brandon. I don't want to hear that thing brought up ever <laughs> have, again. Have I forgotten the face <laughs> of my father? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I want you to throw, crack that little thing in half, throw it in the trash right now. Uh... Let's see, Rob, what was something that stood out for you in, in 2013?
1: This is unfortunately not a happy trend. Also, hooking into seeing what's happened with iOS and seeing what's happened in the console space, it seems like microtransactions have really, ugh, really dug into the world that be. I mean, I think we as a gamer collective are kind of to blame for, for staunchly defending beyond reason a $50 price point for way too long. And then it started to kind of bend under the weight of, you know, licensing ten dollars here, DLC for really some moderate map packs that were probably part of the games anyway, to now straight up freemium and free to play models and everything. that is now now the fifty dollars price point we we pushed too hard and now it's shattered and now the sky's the limit. It seems like on so many products now, where but
2: is that is that because we're okay with the sixty dollars price point or is that because it works in iOS, and the people making some of these financial decisions don't see the, the inherent difference between a ninety-nine cent game that then charges you money for content and a sixty-dollar game that then charges you money for content.
1: Well, I don't know. I think, I think it's not just in the iOS. I mean, we're seeing it now with the new the ne- next gens with the sixty-dollar games. Right. Right. But my it, point is just, that that like.
2: Is this a situation where Microsoft goes? Well, hell, look at you know some of these these iOS games. Like people buy this stuff, they buy it on Facebook, they buy it here, there, you know, all these other places, not realizing that it's different when the entry point is so low, as opposed to these games where you're already paying sixty dollars for sixty dollars. You should be able to whatever. You shouldn't have to put down another dime for anything.
1: No, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little too generous to the. To the developing side of it, but I kind of get the feeling like the costs have just been going up and up and up on everything. Everything from small games that we expect these, you know, large scale product from to large games that we expect ridiculous amount of product and 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 turnaround and value and that I think it was just it was creating too much pressure where the industry was desperate to find new sources of revenue streams and unfortunately the one that we as a group ended up nibbling on is probably the least desirable one in the end for us. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's that's now it's like the experimental phase seems to be kind of gone. And now we've really lost the war and it's going to show up everywhere and in everything to the point where, you know, the iOS 99 cent stuff is kind of a wasteland. But now we get either pretty darn pricey, high quality stuff or we basically have to pay for every single millisecond or ounce of content in a smaller product. And, and then it carries out even now to the larger stuff where it's like now they're going to push the, across the borders with, you know, different kind of premium and DLC and map packs. And plus, by the way, will let you buy, you know, your cars with, you know, these kind of microtransactions or, or whatever. And, and who knows what the sky or what what the limit will be going forward from here. It's, it's well, still I'm
2: very... hoping the limit is that people just stop buying it and then they realize, hmm. oh, shit, we can't nope. actually make any money
1: on this.
0: But, yeah, I don't that's think that's going to happen. Think
1: gonna happen. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's out of the bag now.
0: It has <laughs> yeah. way too much faith. But I, I, I do want to raise three things that I've seen this year in that regard uh, that I find encouraging. Um, I still think it's a little bit of a Wild West thing. We'll see how it's going to settle out. Obviously, publishers are going to try to get away with as much as they can. A few folks will push back or not buy things we'll see where it goes but but three specific things this year that I find pretty encouraging um, I think we saw with Borderlands 2 for instance a great example of how DLC keeps a good thing going uh, I think Borderlands 2 uh, rolled out some really uh, even though there, a lot of people felt cheated because they bought a season's pass and then uh, Gearbox kept doing some awesome things. But by the way, those weren't part of the season's pass. You still have to buy them. But I think Borderlands is a good example of, of DLC being a good value. Uh, and I liked what they did there. I liked seeing that. Um, another one is a, a, a historical bad guy uh, in, in this regard has been Electronic Arts. Uh, and a lot mm. of times I feel like they've scuttled their game designs by just trying to sell extra crap. And I didn't see that so much this year. Uh, Dead Space 3, which came out Dead early Space this 3. year, I, I think did a good job of not, you know, you could buy your way through it, but they didn't nag you with it. Uh, it felt pretty right. optional for the most part. I was okay with, I, it felt like they, be, they sort of settled at a sensible uh, compromise as far as trying to nickel and dime people and, tr- and, and not compromising the experience for others. Uh, who weren't going to pay another cent, uh, and I'm also encouraged that in Battlefield 3, they're not. They could have easily sold uh, those little packs that that you get to get extra experience points. They could have easily monetized that much more crassly than they are now. Um, so, so EA traditionally does a terrible job with this. And I feel that this year they kind of settled down. Um, and the final thing though that I noticed this year. Uh, and Rob, I don't know if this technically gets into what you're talking about with microtransactions and whatnot, but for for me, it's part and parcel of the issue of how does the business model affect the design. This year, I think we're finally seeing some free-to-play games that don't suck, that aren't completely (laughs) scuttled by that free-to-play model. And I want to call out Path of Exile, uh, Card Hunters, um, Mm -hmm. and... Oh, there was someone else that I wanted to... Oh, uh, uh... i guess i forgot there was one other good guy that i was going to call out and i forgot who it was um but we're we're seeing some oh oh marvel heroes for pete's sake yeah marvel heroes path of exile and card hunters seem like they provide a lot of gameplay without uh nickel and diming people and i feel like they're good guys when it comes to how to do the free-to-play model Um, marvel heroes asterisks after it had some time to grow Oh, yeah, they definitely had to grow it, into, like, how to... I mean, Marvel Heroes, that's true of so much about Marvel Heroes, whether it's yeah. the game balance or the character roster or the technical stability. Yeah, uh, but uh, I feel like they're a good example at this point of, of fair free-to-play. Yeah. You know.
1: To to that point, I think it's, it's creating an interesting, weird fourth wall that seems to be broken down now, where now that we see the choices that are made for monetization and how the choices are affecting game design, it's weird because now I feel like I can suddenly peer into the psychology of a particular development house or developer and like kind of really see how cynical or how generous they are with their product and it's, it's almost like it kind of almost takes away the, the suspension of disbelief or something it's, it's suddenly I feel like, oh I see they did this because they wanted me to do that kind of thing where it's, it's, and it's feeling a little more obvious now, and I, I see the good free-to-plays and the bra- bad free-to-plays and the good DLC and the bad DLC, it. and there's such a wide range that when I'm spotting the ones like you pointed out for good, I'm like, okay, I see what they did, and they spotted the bad ones. It really takes me out of the game almost across the
0: spectrum. Well, one, one place that for me has been almost completely just, you called it a wasteland before, but I feel at this point like the iOS is no longer a platform and is now a business model. And I just uh, – so many games on the iOS. Yeah,
2: that, it really depends. Uh-huh. It, it's very rare. Like The Room 2 just came out today. I'll play that because I love The Room, and that was self-contained. Like I knew, you knew, you put down – and The Room is free, and you should get it because it's great. You put down the money, you get it. Like you start to finish, you play the whole game, you never have to put down any more money. Again, it was a reasonably priced when I bought it, maybe 4 or $5. But it, but it's like I look through and I see the games, and if it says free, I just ignore it completely because I know that it's just going to be. Now it's, it's not even like a half an hour. Even if it
0: doesn't say free though, Brandon. Even I I think it's just so accepted on the iOS as a platform that that anybody will try to get away with it. And it just disgusts me to see an otherwise really good game suddenly pop up. You know, do you want to pay two ninety nine to buy these new heroes or to, to yeah, get yeah. extra experience points? And I just uh, – just, you know, when Rob calls it a wasteland, I'm sort of inclined to agree just because I see so much of that. Um, it's yeah. true. I find a lot of my time when I'm thinking
1: about purchasing a game – You know, not free is definitely one one big flag. But then I also scroll down to that in-app purchases and see what's there, and it's so it's so frustrating to be so interested in a game and what the game was going to offer, but to see that the business model is what ruined the game for me, not the actual game. And that is happening more and more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, Scott, do you have any good news for us with the trend that you've maybe seen in, in 2013? Well, I, I don't know if it's
3: good, it's just, I guess it's because of Minecraft, but it seems like every, like, indie game that people are talking about that's either coming out or an alpha or, or early access is, is some kind of, like, mash-up Minecraft, like, Dwarf Fortress, survival, roguelike, platformer. I mean, it's just, I made a list of games that fit this sort of model, uh-huh. and it it's crazy. I got, like... 20 games. Can you rattle off? Uh, Do you have that there? Yeah, I'm, I got Cube World, which McMaster just wrote about, which is great, Starbound, which is well I won't go into what each game is, Starbound, Don't Starve, Timber and Stone, Castle Story, Rogue Legacy, Desktop Dungeons, Unepic, Guncraft, Space Base, DF9, Dungeon of Endless, Risk of Rain... Uh, yeah, so it just seems like, uh, and and most of these games start out as early access uh, alpha buy-ins, and it's um, I don't know they all they all look like games I want to get, but it it just uh, I don't know when you I was thinking wonder, about this today, yeah. You do like, have to what's wonder, going Scott, on there? Yeah,
0: how many of those are people who just kind of want a piece of the Minecraft pie? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, but because some some of them are are. They do look good, <laughs> I mean, and then some of them are, are just fantastic like don 't starve or or rogue legacy and and it's just I, I don't know. I mean, I know this is like a buzzword now, the sort of like survival roguelike, Dwarf Fortress thing, but it, it really is interesting. If you just look at early access in Steam and you see so many of these games that are coming out, uh, and most of my Steam friends are playing them or they want them or they're on their... Uh, it, and it draws a lot of excitement, and I think the one game that I think everybody's kind of freaking out now is that, um, what is that, do not Don't Watch the Sky,
2: what is it that... Uh, No Man's Sky. Sky, Yeah, No Man's Sky. Right, so that's like the
3: sort of... Right, that's like the... uh, That's the game everybody wants. And it it seems like to me that everybody does want this game, these type of games, and um, I think that's why they keep getting made, but I don't know. They have lesser degrees of success, I think. The early
1: access... I'm sorry. No, no, you Uh, guys. Say the early access is kind of a... a very poisonous thing because it causes two things. One, it, it, leaks, it leaks into what we were just talking about with with the, the transactions and how there's kind of bad ways to spend your money on these like these games that just won't become the dream. And then that's the other side of it, is it really causes us to so much build up a game that's not going to be the game that's actually being built to right. kind of create a, an yeah. endless source of disappointment. Well, right. yeah, and,
3: and these developers, uh, and I don't I mean, I guess it maybe started with wanting to be minecraft or dwarf fortress but i think they they just they they embody this (laughs) this hope that we all have for these type of games and and you see it on forums all the time anytime one of these games comes out in early access or or an alpha or beta i mean you know threads get created lots of people are interested It, it really does sort of tap into this type of game that we all want uh but just looking at the list of them today it kind of struck me that um it may be not not such a great trend.
0: I'm uh, disappointed, part. Scott, that you left Eldritch off your list, which is uh, our own Nick Diamond. Uh, uh, he yeah. quite liked that, and I've I've dinked around with that a little bit. So, uh, oh yeah, I could I, have I went on this. for another. Yeah, I could have went on for like another five
1: minutes, but I figured... he did list three of the survival crafters that are all sci-fi and all came out in like the last seven days. So, so
0: did he mention Darkout, by the way? Wait,
1: no, four of them. Sorry about Darkout. No. Yeah, so, there you go. See, you can just keep going. <laughs> so... uh, all
0: right, good. Yeah, so I, when you when you first mentioned that in the email we had going around, Scott, I, I assumed you meant like it was great news. But yeah, I guess some of these you, you kind of have to wonder what's going to come of this and how many Actually, people I pin can... their hopes there.
1: If I can route the indie thing before we walk away from it in a in a good way, Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually this has been a year that I've really I'm seeing a very pleasing trend. It seems like for so long uh, games have become stagnant to the point where they have completely shaped the industry into relying on these heavy AAA plus juggernauts that really take no risk, don't do anything new just kind of regurgitate the same thing and God help you if you try to do anything different because your project will get squashed. I mean, not unlike movies and sequels, I guess, but um, it seems like finally with some pretty big hitters getting a pretty lackluster response this year, I and mean, Gears of War had a pretty meh response. Uh, uh, Call of Duty looks like it's almost gotten it's in threat territory with how kind of meh its response was, and, and even things like Grand Theft Auto, which got a pretty good response, wasn't like crazy nuts response and on the other side of that i'm looking at it feels like this is a great time to be a gamer because for the first time in a very long time we're getting lots of experimentation with with game design and, and and ideas and structure and really experimental stuff that that looks a lot like games did in the beginning you know like you know, in the very, very early era with very, very primitive technology on stuff, you know, people that were just making literally by themselves in a handful of hours in a garage and throwing up on, you know, shareware or whatever, you know, and and it seems like we kind of revisited the creativity of that era with a lot of modern technology, so you can get really cool meshes like, you know, uh, Monaco that has a very kind of retro look, but it's got, you know, pretty complicated lighting going on and whatnot. To, I mean, I'm really excited what this is doing, and this seems like it's kind of leading the way of potentially being uh, market leader almost of the next console round as as it could potentially be a big competitive space not necessarily over AAA titles but who gets what indie title and when
0: yeah we're definitely right. to definitely like that uh, even with the 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 console launches there's definitely an awareness that we have to embrace indies you know the people Mm who flock to this creativity that it gets a lot of attention how can we build that into our ps4 or xbox one microsystem uh or ecosystem i mean I, i really like the uh awareness that the bigger publishers have of that yeah definitely
2: but that was a big reason that was the other reason why i got a ps4 was was their support for indies like when i was when i saw you know what um uh, what they're doing with transistor. I was like, yeah, I'm on board. And they're like, it's on the PS4. I was like, done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my only other question was, can I play Witcher 3 on the PS4? Yes, done. Okay. I'm good. You know, remote play, transistor, <laughs> Witcher 3, you know, second son, perfect. But it was, you know, Sony, you know, kind of saying what, you know, kind of wanting to bring you know these these indie games because I you know you kind of like we talked about before. I'm thinking, all right, well, I'll will most likely be cross by. I'll most likely be able to throw that on the Vita. Like Rogue, let it. I cannot wait for Rogue Legacy to come out on the Vita. Like I can't. Oh wait yeah. Or PS4 with Cross by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just well, Sony, and, and I think, and and I mean, I know a lot of sometimes these games that we're getting, like Terraria is coming out on the Vita soon, and that's been out on the PC for a while. And I think that, you know, it's kind of easy to dismiss. Okay, well, you know, that game's actually been out on the PC for for a minute. But for people like myself who don't play PC games, I mean, it's a great way to to expand that to a new audience to show you know, people who maybe are, are typically playing these AAA games, the level of creativity and, and design and the cool things that, that these smaller houses are doing. Um, I just think it's awesome.
0: Uh, let me use that then to segue into something that I noticed this year, and that is that I think that a lot of the, the bigger AAA projects are also taking creative chances, and they're doing it, this is even better, with old franchises. um Rob, you mentioned Gears of War. I really I I kinda liked you know, I don't I don't like the story and the shooting was kind of the same. But they did a kinda cool thing by embracing the sandboxiness uh and, and oh. making it a set of different arenas with with randomized enemies in each arena. Well, and I was it wasn't, saying, your, with Gears it wasn't of war. your normal uh, like scripted like, okay, now you're gonna fight four of these guys and there's gonna be three of these guys and then you're gonna hit a checkpoint. Uh So even Gears of War, I felt like they took some creative chances with this last one.
1: Go ahead. I I was going to say, that was great, and I really do like – I'm with you. I like the direction that they took it, but I also feel like the marketplace at large was kind of not very kind in their signals that they were sending. And I think the powers that be heard the wrong signal and were unlikely to get that kind of creative – try again yeah. say on the next next round they might go a much safer
0: standard route again which would be Could disappointing be. yeah and that's yeah but uh, but but more to the point though i'm real happy to see them try that i was real happy to see them do something different with, with gears of war judgment and you can see that with other major franchises this year and just to name a few uh devil may cry getting all
1: oh that was awesome
0: western yeah, and god like of war yeah yeah, and i'm someone who the the previous devils may cry just kind of bounced off me i could see the appeal um but this is the first one that i gladly played through the whole thing and started a second yeah, playthrough I and i really like that and that was a that was an established franchise. That I can't help but think some people who really wanted it to just be an iteration of the last one were very disappointed with, but it yeah. worked for me. Uh, of course, Tomb Raider, you know, rebooting yep. what they did there, that was, that was kind of risky. They went a different mm-hmm. direction. But what happened is that Square Enix, they trusted Crystal Dynamics. They let them do something completely different and reboot the, the franchise. Uh, I think Rockstar finally hit uh, this level of maturity and creativity uh, with Grand Theft Auto V, and a lot of that has to do with how they they split it into three different characters, and they let the different characters carry different styles of things that they've already been doing. Um, yeah. uh, Ubisoft, who I think w- one of the things that I've always appreciated about Ubisoft is they're willing to take chances. Uh, this year, I think the ship stuff, the sailing ship stuff, breathed a lot of new life into Assassin's Creed four. Uh, you know, I get bored of just running around parkouring in the cities. So what they did is they broke it up with this awesome, it, what was previously a sailing mini-game, and they fleshed that out. Um, Ubisoft with the, this year's Splinter Cell, rather than just having this story and then bolting multiplayer on the side, they just made it a collection of sandboxes. And between the sandboxes, you could play them pretty much in any order you want, and you could buy all this great equipment and gadgets and upgrade stuff. Uh, A completely new framework for for Splinter Cell uh, reinvigorated that. Uh, EA's crafting in Dead Space 3. uh, That made that game work for me, and I didn't care for either of the previous two ones. Uh, Even Nintendo. uh, Scott and I are playing Super Mario 3D World at this point, and uh, the jury's still out there. But I've heard a a lot uh, about the new um, Zelda game. And how that's completely different, and it bucks the trend of the previous Zeldas. Uh, by- Can I add something to that, too? Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. like One of my
2: favorite things, kind of on that vein, is is uh, publishers and developers kind of realizing that not every game that was traditionally hardcore has to be hardcore. Like, there is a value to allowing players that are new to the franchise to kind of play on a lower difficulty level to get their... Like, Fire Emblem Awakening is ah, sure. one of the, the greatest games I have ever played, and I would never have played it if the previous mechanic of you die, you lose a guy forever uh, had been in place. Um, I would never have played it because I know that I'm not very good at those games, and I I just wouldn't have played it. And I am so glad that they, they allowed you to turn that off if you wanted to. Yeah, now, they dumbed it unfortunately down. yeah, they and and I mean <laughs> if you still wanted to play it that way, you could. It it kind of there is times when things dialogue and stuff didn't make sense but i'm glad that they they kind of and then the same thing with um etrian odyssey 4 you know this notion of kind of having a a casual mode that that lets you you know kind of not just lose everything and and if other people want to play it at at the way that they're used to playing it they still can but you know those are some games that i never would have played and i love both of them and i just think that's something that it seems like folks have been traditionally kind of pushed back against going well no our game is is the hardcore we you know we have a and i think DMC is kind of in that that as well because exactly yeah you know it was so there just the tutorials and when you got when you when you got a new move you know like h- how you would use that you know use the move and um, you know the the just the way they let you practice with it was great if you've never played brawlers before uh, it was fantastic
0: Yep, yep Uh, Another franchise that I never would have expected I'd like a game out of it this much, uh, Sonic All-Stars Racing Transformed. Uh, I mean, I guess that's that's more like a Sega party uh, kind of assembly. Like, this is all the Sega stuff, because it's not technically a Sonic game. Um, But it just made, as far as Sonic being a franchise, it made it seem less stinky to me.
2: Yeah, that that was a good game. I like that game.
0: Uh, alright, so let's see, uh, Brandon, what's another trend you've seen this year?
2: Um, well, you know, we have these new consoles and, um, we have, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, 99 problems and, you know, digital distribution and day one patches are but two of them. Uh, you know, so we, <laughs> we get to be, we usher in this new, you know, quote unquote era of gaming and I, and I see, you know, kind of the same you know, problems that I think we had you know, in this, this last era. And I just, just, you know, like, okay, well, you, day one patches needed in order to, you know, day one patches are relatively new, but just this notion of, I think, you know, things needing to be patched out of the gate is certainly nothing new when it comes to, to games of late, but, but maybe hardware that, that's newer, but also just, you know, we were kind of, this this idea that you know i think microsoft was pushing pretty hard with the wand of you know okay well it's all you know we want you to download the games we want you to to you know especially when initially their stuff was announced and how how just kind of it seemed like they were just vehemently opposed to physical media like you wouldn't be able to to share your games you wouldn't be able to trade your games like all these these things you could definitely tell they were pushing people towards you know a digital future and and i just feel like their system and the infrastructure around their system and it's not their fault i mean people's broadband access is, is what it is is just not built to handle that like i've read you know some people saying you know of taking an entire weekend to download You know, NBA 2K14, you know, or when you, when you talk about the, when you kind of people have been comparing how long does it take to download, you know, games so that you can play the whole thing on the three, the Xbox one compared to the PS4 and it's, you know, considerably, you know, larger and then just kind of the inelegance of how their patches, the updates have to download with the game, whatever that type of thing. And it just seems like they had, they had this really, um, this idea of what the digital future should be and consumers, I think rightly so didn't bite on it because they were more in the grounds of reality going, I get five megabits a second. (laughs) Like that's what I'm capped at. And you want me to download a 30 gig game? Like, and then I feel like that this promise of a digital age is kind of hitting the reality of the digital present. Um, and it just kind of makes me laugh, uh, not in a good way. Like, I certainly don't want anybody to have to, you know, suffer through downloading something. And uh, you know, the PS4 is not perfect either. But um, you know, like in order to get a Remote Play to work, I, had to, I put down a decent amount of money on like a really beefy router, and I can't say for certain that it works as well as it does simply because my router is such a beast. Um, and so it's like, you know, it's meet the you know the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, and I, and that's a lot of that stuff I think will get. You know, worked out in time, but I really feel like kind of what they wanted the one to be. And, and it's just not in, along with reality at this point in terms of what the infrastructure needs to be to support that type of thing.
0: As strictly an outsider, I mean, you guys are way more plugged into the next gen systems than me, but just watching the course of the year develop, it was certainly fascinating seeing Microsoft. It was their game to lose. You know, the difference between the 360 and the PS3. Uh, where they stood, and just seeing Microsoft completely squander this yeah. gamer goodwill that they had built up mm-hmm. over the years, and basically Absolutely. just hand it over to Sony. Uh, and to that- Sony's credit, they, you know, the
2: PS4 represents probably the biggest turnaround in terms, like, I don't know, the, the, it seems like all the things that people didn't like about the PS3, they actually listened, and they said, let's not do that again, like... <laughs> But let's make changes, you know, positive changes. Let's not be so arrogant simply because the PS2, you know, is one of the best selling systems of all time. And whereas I think Microsoft was like, oh, you like the 360? Well, get ready because we're (laughs) going to control your entire household. Yeah.
1: That's, that's kind of the the feeling that I was, I was kind of getting that in the last podcast where it seems like you, on the one hand, you got carrot and the other hand, you got stick. It's like one of them, one company seems to be like, okay, how about if we give you this? How about if we give you a couple of free games with your monthly subscription? How about if we let you have Netflix without anything? How about if we you know, they just keep keep giving these things whereas Microsoft's like this is our vision. You will you will submit, oh, well, all right we'll back up a little bit but you're still gonna submit this far and it's but we'll uh, give you gears of war because who hasn't played gears of war yet (laughs) yeah or halo 3 but uh, i think you have a good point it's gonna be real interesting because not not everything was reversed and there there are a lot of decisions that were made on on both in both uh systems kind of assuming a certain infrastructure is in place and Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out over time, to see how much that really is in place in the world marketplace at large. Yeah,
2: because um, I've read, I, you know, I've read people who have PS4 saying I will never go to the store to buy a game again, and I'm like, I, I mean, I definitely see the appeal of that, like, you know, especially because it down, you know, what the little bit that you need to start playing downloads so quickly. Um, and and it'd be nice to just be like, oh, I want to play that. I don't have to go out. But at the same time, I guess I'm just I'm just so um, inherently distrustful of my internet connection to that. I, I just would much rather have the disc in hand uh, because I don't I don't know what kind of checking the PS4 needs to do if any once it's installed. I'm, I think you can just play it, but I don't I don't know and I don't know what they would what could change in the future. Because you know, I think any any company that you're giving the benefit of the doubt, you're doing so um, maybe not fully understanding that most of this stuff is just a software switch
1: away from being turned on or uh, yeah, you know, like or an whatever. end user license agreement. It's kind of yeah. again 180. Say like a year down the road for Xbox One.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, um, uh, Rob, you mentioned is one of the notable things this year uh, that's tied into next-generation consoles is the, the social features. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about what we've learned about that in 2013. Uh, well,
1: social's kind of weird. I mean, kind of social, you didn't really think of, at least I don't think of gamers as being in the traditional social media circles. I mean, I all my gaming friends, I'm not really thinking of guys who are checking and updating and doing whatever on their Facebook and their Twitter accounts. I mean, granted, there's exceptions, but... But at the same time, it's kind of interesting to now that the consoles are launched. This really kind of hidden feature that's so big is this either broadcasting or streaming features. I mean, Twitch TV built it right into it, and it seems like mm-hmm. it's taken something that was in a very specific, you know, space of either you know you watch YouTube channels of certain people, maybe, uh, well, or maybe not anymore. But you know, you watch YouTube channels. <laughs> Or uh, you, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's a that's whole really other podcast about yeah. <laughs> YouTube Armageddon, but uh, but uh, or you had essentially mostly real time strategy folks that would just watch recorded uh, video to like really work on their build order now. Whereas now you just have people like me just popping on their PS4, going down and watching, you know. John Doe playing a game of whatever just to kind of check it out and get an idea of what the game is, what I might want to do, and and it's it's kind of a neat kind of gamer TV that I think is becoming an exciting feature for everybody now, which is kind of cool.
0: I wondered too, a, Rob. It, if- I wonder, okay. too, if that's a matter of a, a generational thing, that older guys like us are kind of seeing, hey, they're making these console systems for these young whippersnappers who <laughs> use these social features. Oh, they're not so bad after all. Yeah, I could see yeah. enjoying this. I wonder how much of well, it is that factor. But maybe.
1: But, I mean, I I was a Twitch – I mean, I, I've i been watching Twitch off and on for a while. But now that it's, like, right there, integrated right in front of me, it's it's – it's so easy to get to now. It's like you know, why switch back over to the DVR and watch a show? I'll just watch you know whatever. And I kind of I wait to see how this kind of evolves as it becomes like a fully fleshed out kind of streaming product on both systems. That you have to it
2: wonder Microsoft, cool When Microsoft sees the press, when you have to wonder when Microsoft sees the press releases of like Sony, where they're like two hundred and eighty million minutes of Twitch, and they're like, oh, why did we not?
1: Why couldn't we do that now? Uh, There's a lot of people that have to watch their wives being undressed or people peeing in sinks or whatever kind of shenanigans. (laughs) Oh my god, no, I'm not interested. That's the dark side of what's happening. Yeah, Um, but that's not as much anymore.
0: I will say that, uh, and Rob, you tipped me to this. Scott and I are both availing ourselves of this now. Uh, The Wii U finally got me to sign up for Flickr (laughs) so I could (laughs) upload my Wii U screenshots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you guys seen this Flickr thing? It's awesome. You should try it. Yeah, <laughs> You can upload pictures.
1: <laughs> no, I love doing that for Skylanders and stuff. And I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, maybe I haven't done enough research, but if there's a hook to do similar things with the Vita or whatever. Because that's the one thing I'm a little disappointed with, the social hooks of the PS4. I mean, I haven't seen the Xbox, but I'm a little disappointed. It's like, okay, sure I can screenshot and sure I can record video, but one, your video tools are barbaric, if even that. And then on the other hand, I have to send it to Facebook and then maybe send it again to YouTube or something. It's like just let me, let me post this to my like my friend wall page that you worked on, you know. So I don't know that, that might need some time to work on, but, sure. but yeah, screenshots are cool to be able to pull out of a game and, and be able to. You know, I guess Steam's been doing it for a while, but this is even better, I think. Uh,
0: what is what does all of this mean for PCs, if anything? Uh, what what does 2013 look like for PCs?
1: Hmm. I think it's... I think PC's probably in a pretty good place, partly because of the adoption rate and the slow burn that a console generation turnover is going to be, and also there's so much happening in the indie space that it seems like, for now, Steam and Greenlight's a pretty good place, and Early Access is a good place to kind of have those things percolate and then
0: move them later. It's certainly one of the first console launches I've noticed that wasn't accompanied by uh, cries that PC gaming is dead. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think
2: and I think it's because the, you know, all of these, you know, like I was saying, all of these indie games that, you know, are so great on Right on, on you know, PS4 either have already been out on the PC or are, are out at the same time. You know, this whole notion of, okay, well, you know, this console's got exclusivity or that. I mean, nowhere... Typically, I don't see PC mentioned along in those agreements. So, I think the PC's, you know, could be just fine. You know, I, I think that...
1: Um, you know, uh, I feel are, like... Just, how about this take on it? Instead of being some sort of, like, competitive, you know, gladiatorial you know, them versus us or us versus them or whatever, it seems like it's now its its own ecosystem where they're kind of symbiotic on each other where you're like, it's great that something new and exciting gets developed on PC like Faster Than Light, but then I'm also really eager to see it migrate its way into a handheld device so I can have it on lunchtime adventure type stuff. And and this that just kind of all works together to create a full ecosystem that I'm, I'm pleased that I'm part of multiple parts and it doesn't have to be about, you know, like, this is my team, and I only root for them, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That would be uh,
2: nice if if everybody could think that way. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah,
3: and I think that feeds into another key point about why PC gaming is so great uh, is because there's so many digital digital download sites now. I mean, it's just the the cost is so much cheaper per game. I mean, you may you may pay, pay play. Uh, play the same game on different systems, but you're going to pay way more on a handheld or a console than you ever will on a PC, just because of the Steam sales and the Humble store, right. and I think that's what's, what's really great for, for indie developers, because they can get their foot in the door that way, uh, sell their game pretty cheap, or get it picked up on a on a Humble bundle or something, and then as, you know, more, um, more momentum builds, they can try and get it on a platform where people will pay more money for it, but I think that's why the PC's Still got the edge uh, because it is just it 's so different the the amount of money you spend, and that was the big that was the big promise that I was hoping. Sony and Microsoft would would deliver with their digital download services is the cut in cost, because that's what we've been hearing forever. You know, we have to charge this amount of money because of piracy and all this stuff, and as soon as we get it on a digital platform, you know, we'll pass the savings on to you, and that's just not
2: not happening, you
3: know? Yeah,
2: ask the UK how that's working out for them. Yeah, Uh, right.
3: I mean, I I wish they would adopt that, though. I mean, they never will, but it would be so great. I mean, Sony, to some extent, with PS Plus, but... Yeah, I mean,
0: excellent point, Scott. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that was specific to PCs that I have a question for you guys about, and maybe this is just a matter of we're not the, the right fellows to be talking about this, but uh, what happened to all the MMOs? Mm. I, I mean, Do I play MMOs, play and them? I certainly spent my, my time in 2013 playing them, but I was playing MMOs that had come out the year before. I was playing Guild Wars 2 and Secret World. And uh, did, what, were, did any conventional MMOs come out this year? I'm worried... MMOs
1: are going the direction of the spaced sim, uh, where they had a great moment in time. They were really popular. They were, I mean, to the point where everyone was trying to imitate the king. And I think the problem is, is it maybe society does? I mean, MMOs kind of, they, they sort of have a burnout rate, and then even more so, that marketplace more than any other seems to be really struggling to find its its revenue stream that's going to work in the modern era and i don't i think mmos and they're not done and they're not going to fade like you know like most spaces although they are coming back but i just think they're there unlike a lot of other genres are in a very challenging place right now to try to find yeah, their was, way yeah it was
0: just the first year where i can't think of a single one i mean defiance came out and that's kind of a different take on the the MMO, but otherwise, I, I didn't play any MMOs this year, which is odd. Um, I, I think it's telling
1: to 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 I mean, to feed into what you're asking. I think it's telling that Blizzard seems to have had a behind-the-scenes massive restructuring of oh. the game
0: plan. Well, I, well you so, could argue, though, that there were mists of... Uh, didn't they have a... The, there was yeah. an expansion this year. Yeah, so I guess that that's just a matter of, partly of me just not playing WoW. Um, but that did come out this year. Well, I was more yeah. referring to Titan and, and Titan being you know
1: indefinitely changed and i i I wonder if that's kind of feeding into them looking at the numbers looking at at world of warcraft looking at its sustainability and its its cycles of people coming back and then people fleeing and then i don't i don't know i think i think the mmo space is really in a a tough spot trying to figure out what the next step is
0: Uh, scott were you going to say something
1: Yeah, it just seems like, I mean,
3: there's so many resources they have to throw at a good MMO, and not just the world building, but the server infrastructure and everything, and while they're out there building their game, all of a sudden, all these people in the free-to-play space and on the indie space, they make all this money, and it's just, I think people people kind of take notice, and they wonder, well, sh- shoot, you know, we're, we're throwing all these resources, we have these huge teams to create these games, and I think when Star Wars kind of went belly up, people were just kind of kind of shocked, and I think it, it doesn't bode well for the Elder Scrolls, and especially because they're going to be doing a subscription model, I just, I just right. think it's too, you know, it's too
0: resource-heavy in, in today's um, gaming space. And uh, with no, with, without the conventional guarantee on your returns that yeah. you saw with World of Warcraft, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that's
1: a very good point because I've seen trying to get out from under the subscription model, everyone's going to the free-to-play model, but the free-to-play has an interesting problem that MMOs all trying to do subscription was a problem. People only have so much disposable income that they want to throw out in a given month, say. And so they can only play or be invested in so many products at the same time well, okay, so like Scott's saying, in an MMO, if you want to create some sort of content to keep people coming, then it's like, okay, now you got to craft whole levels or maybe a new class. And, and, and Whereas like if you're a MOBA or something or some other free-to-play, it's like, okay, here's our new character model that's plugged into the game that we were already running anyway, and bam, and you just you can't keep up for those same dollars.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's a tricky balance, because it, on the one hand, a subscription model ensures that somebody's going to to play your game, and you're going to have populated worlds just because people are paying for it. Uh, on the other hand, a free-to-play model, it, it's less pressure for you to log in every day, but then there's also less incentive to do so because you're not paying for it. I mean, I, I used to play a lot of WoW, and part of the reason that I did was because I was paying for it, and then when I played Guild Wars 2, I thought that was the best MMO I ever played. But then... After the first month or so, there was just less incentive. I didn't feel the same incentive. And as soon as you lose the community, it's done. It's just done. You're not going to play those games.
0: Uh, Guild Wars, though, has been pushing a lot of new content, though, Scott. What's your deal?
3: Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I just I don't think I have space in my life anymore for an MMO. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, here's,
1: yeah. Here's another thing about the MMOs, and I when I think about Guild Wars, I kind of like chastise myself. It's like, why don't I jump into this? And I think you have talked about this in some of the previous podcasts. But unlike some of the other competitors for the same money, you know, the, the free to plays. It's so much easier usually to jump right back into a free to play, and an MMO is usually a gargantuan task of like trying to remember, okay, what did this, what, you know, how many hot bars did I even have, and then what was on these hot bars, and what did they do, and, and what was I collecting, and why is this in my backpack, and it's like, ah, oh, no, never mind, I'm just gonna play League of Legends with this character or whatever, you know. And it, it has a different kind of startup, so it seems like it's kind of a one way street when you kind of walk away from an MMO, you've walked away from it.
0: Um, yeah, okay. I can see. I mean, some of them are friendlier than others in that regard, though. And I know you can always just roll up a new character in uh, a good MMO yeah, you start it's true. from the yeah, just <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Uh, Another PC-oriented genre that uh, had a notable year uh, in an odd way. Uh, I might be just about ready to declare, to call the time of death, year 2013, for the conventional real-time strategy game. Oh. Uh, which I hate to do because I'm a huge fan of real-time strategy games the conventional ones but a, a couple of things have been happening and 2013 came to a head uh, one of the things that's been happening is I think they, the player base has been increasingly migrating to MOBAs these, these games like League of mm-hmm. Legends Defense of the Ancients um, that offer this quick fix and the team-based gameplay of, that people like in RTSs but without the, the multitasking requirements that those games traditionally put on the player. Um, So they've been sort of bleeding numbers, I think. I think uh, that that's where a lot of RTS players have have migrated. Uh, However, this year saw the release of some notable conventional real-time strategy games, most of which I felt fumbled dramatically in some important ways, and some of which just landed with a thud. Uh, Company of Heroes 2 came out and and was awful. Uh, Creative Assembly backpedaled hugely from Shogun 2, which was a great release, with their mm-hmm. uh, Rome 2. I mean, that thing was a mm-hmm. disgrace. Um, mm-hmm. The StarCraft add-on, uh, which I I really appreciate the... Some of the workmanship and the design in Starcraft, but this heart of the swarm add on just really had nothing for for a guy like me. you know they, they threw out a goofy little single player campaign they threw in a few a handful of new units for that some of the power users might appreciate, but it really i don 't feel did anything to reinvigorate Starcraft Two for a wider more casual audience um, so if I think of the best conventional RTS that came out this year. Uh, it's kind of a niche game in that it doesn't have the player base of any of those previous ones, and it's a fantastic game, a uh, war war game, air land battle. Uh, I yeah. love that thing, and that right that, thats the only conventional RTS I can think of that came out this year uh, that, that didn't suck, that I didn't think was was terrible.
3: Yeah, no, and it, it is
0: such. Sorry, go ahead, Rob. No, no, go
3: ahead. Oh, I was just just saying. I mean, it is funny that in a, in a year where. Like you're saying, the RTS is sort of the traditional RTS, anyway, sort of dying, and and the migration to the MOBAs, You do see something as fantastic as War uh, as War Game Air Land Battle. Yeah, it is. It is funny though. Uh, you know, at, at the at the sort of you know the end the the bottom of the of the genre, you get that just. I mean, it, it is such a fantastic game, and it, I think it just didn't a new patch just come out the other day, like a free DLC.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, they've been they've been doing some great balancing work, and they've been offering yeah. free units and free maps, and uh, yeah, some new big ten v ten maps I think just came out. Uh, they basically just release it as free DLC. I don't yeah I don't think they've done anything to monetize any of their post release support, as far as I know. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And yeah, that game is just
3: fantastic. I can't wait to get back to that game. Yeah, they, they did a great job. But
0: otherwise, you know, I, I what. It, is everyone then just going to bail? So so Creative Assembly, uh, I don't know what else they're doing now, uh, uh, Blizzard and Relic. like Those were some of the last of the great RTS makers, and I just couldn't care less about what they're doing these days. Well, yeah, but of the three you've got, you've got Creative Assembly, which I think has,
1: I would argue, since the beginning of time has had a major hobbling point in that they, they create these fast single-player games with no AI, and then you have Relic, which is just off the face of the planet now. And I think Blizzard almost single-handedly is going. Wait, what to do you mean spot. off the
0: face of the planet? I thought they got rescued. Well, well, they they did, but what are they,
1: they
2: doing? Yeah, surely I mean, uh, they're
0: doing something. Oh, maybe not. I guess I haven't I, really. Followed. So, a uh, Sega published company of heroes is right. is. is uh, wouldn't they then also find? I actually, I don't know. You're, you're right. I guess there's.
1: As far as I know, their properties have either been that were in the works have been completed and released in some fashion, and I don't know of any waiting properties. But as far as I know, they are, I mean, at best in torpor, I don't know. I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't see them as doing much to, to help, you know, keep this patient alive and using your, your analogy. And then then Blizzard, I think, is kind of, they're almost standing over the body with a gun in their hands, ironically, because when you think of traditional, art, you know, real-time strategies with things like, you know, queuing units and making bases and build orders and stuff, you know, you think of the StarCrafts and, and the WarCraft-type games and, I think they really, in their attempt to go for the eSport crowd, you know, which doesn't have to be a death nail. I mean, I argue League of Legends has, in fact, your Twitch numbers will show you every single night that League of Legends has gone for the eSport crowd way more. But in the way that Blizzard went with it with, with StarCraft, it just looks like that they're they're saying sorry. Majority of the population, you guys aren't here. It's only for this group that's going to be able to play this game and really get the
0: full value out of it, and it seems like, okay, if everyone's going to walk away from the table, then there's nothing left. Uh, Soren Johnson just started a new company, and he's uh, saying some intriguing things about working on a new RTS. Uh, Mm -hmm. Until he can give more specifics about it, though, I I don't know how much hope to to put in that particular basket, Uh, but he's definitely working on an RTS over at, uh, I think they're called Mohawk Games, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so...
2: Think about, I always, whenever the year ends, I always think to myself, ah, this really wasn't all that great of a year. And then I look back at everything I played and I was like, oh my God, that came out this year. That game was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. and no, I think you this know. was a, a sleepy trend year. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, these aren't like broad strokes that are completely changing the industry that everybody's talking about, but I really think we've seen the kind of, this, the Earth start to shift on some pretty big things that are going to play out in big ways. Say, and right. as the next generation really kind of comes to being, and and, and you know, so it's I mean, you know, well, the big things of the year is hard to say, but these are definitely big forces in play.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, uh, everyone listening, join us this time next year to see what the fallout of all of this was. <laughs> so.
1: How wrong we all
0: were. Yeah, how <laughs> terrible we are, yeah. That's, there's that. Uh, all right, well, thank you for listening. Uh, we look forward to everyone uh, joining us next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Brandon Kranzaski-Snail. Did I get that right, yep. Brandon? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> the Chicago Kranzaski-Snails. Uh, Rob Harvey, your name I can get every time. I'm sorry, Scott- that's pronounced Harvey. Harvey, yeah. Uh, and it's Scott. <sighs> Check this out, Scott. I've been practicing. me <laughs> oh man, that's the best yet <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening And we'll see everyone here next week I came in like a One of, one of the biggest songs of the year. That I can't. I, that's.
1: Ugh. Jesus. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was. Christ. <laughs> what does What does the fox say? I thought that was a big one.
2: <laughs> I, I can't stand that song.
1: <laughs> you have no choice if you have a child.